sense that you guys are avoiding today's topic. Yeah, don't want to be here. Do you- <laughs> uh, I don't have a problem with the topic. It's more like just being alive in general. <laughs> All right. So Alex has a problem with being here yeah. in the sense of human consciousness. Yes. Okay. I am nervous about talking about sex. Mm. It's true. Yeah. I don't like doing it. Like you don't like about doing it? it? I do doing like it. doing it. <laughs> uh, but I struggle to talk about it, and I feel like, you know, it's been a steady learning curve through becoming a therapist and non-monogamous and a parent and, you know, a mature adult human being of figuring out how to get better and better at it. But I mm. would not say that it's like a, mm. it's not like a natural talent of mine. Mm. Well, and it's interesting because, like, in a way, that's what we're talking about on this podcast every episode. I mean, sex is, like, a big part of it. But somehow what we're talking about today is... Yeah, I don't think... uh, Yeah, we aren't talking about sex that much. I've been waiting to open the episode by going, let's talk about sex, baby. Let's talk about you and me. Let's talk about all the good things and the bad things that may be. Let's talk about sex. Let's talk about... Well, nobody joined Sex. in. Uh, <laughs> I anyway, I've been waiting to do That made me. It all made the good me. things and bad things that made me <laughs> is a killer line, though. <laughs> yeah, okay. It should be. It yeah. should like be. Like a sex education. Well, yeah. That's how it started. I didn't want to interrupt because you said you'd been waiting for almost a year and a half to do that. So I was, I was solo moment. There was an end of that. <laughs> <laughs> that that was the that was a sentence, and the end of that sentence is, but it's never really come up so far on the podcast because mm. we haven't really been talking about sex. Mm. But today we are. I think we, I would say today we're talking about desire, yeah, as opposed to sex. Yeah, let's I, frame it that way. I think that's helpful because um, you're right, Jessica. We are always talking about sex if we're talking about non-monogamy. It's in. Kind of inherent it's in to the name. The, yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> but somehow you guys have managed to avoid, like, really, really talking about sex. Are you right. proud of yourself? I am. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, how many episodes is that? Right. It's like, we're halfway through season two here. Yeah. Yeah. That's, we're in the, like, teen years and we still haven't talked about sex. Right. We haven't, like, really, <laughs> mm-hmm. the closest we've gotten is, like, L shaped <laughs> I mean, we made Cassidy talk about it last week a little bit. Right. Um, she warmed us up. Yeah. All right. Well, welcome to Mistakes Were Made, a podcast about non-monogamy for messy people like us. I'm Sarah, a queer therapist, writer, and journalist who doesn't want to be talking about sex today. <laughs> and I'm her husband, Alex, a communications professional and educator. Not not about sex in either case. <laughs> who would like to be singing about sex. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Um, and I'm Jessica here producing the podcast. Um, usually I'm the podcast resident monogamist, but maybe today I'm going to be playing the role of old fashioned slut. <laughs> I feel Traditional like kind. Old timey. <laughs> I think this is going to come in handy. <laughs> Just an old timey slut, see? <laughs> Yeah, can you please do it in like a 1930s (laughs) newspaper man voice? Early in 1932. (laughs) Yeah. Jessica walks into a bar, shows a little ankle. (laughs) My ankles are exposed right now. 
right, so Alex, before we got started, you were saying that you felt like it's better to frame this as a podcast episode where we're talking about desire, not sex. Mm-hmm. What's the difference? Why do you say that? Um, because I guess desire maybe is a subset of sex, but you could be like talking about, um, you know, this is sort of like adjacent to consent. You could be talking about like uh, STI safety. You could be talking about physical pleasure in a more biological kind of way. You could be talking about, um, I don't know, trauma. I'm sure we're going to be talking about trauma. What um, makes you think that? <laughs> but How it, dare you suggest <laughs> that, that I'm going to introduce that concept uh, into sure every that podcast we okay. ever do? <laughs> I'm going to press the giant buzzer when you mention trauma. <laughs> um yeah, but but we're ta- but so this is like a, a specific subsex se- subsext <laughs> subtext of this episode is a subset of sex about desire. Mm-hmm. This and intro. that sounded like skipping. <laughs> this is going great so far. Do you guys want to just start over or like keep? Okay. I like it. Okay. I like it. Okay. I feel like this is the moon. Okay. Uh, yeah, so talking about sex, desire, through the lens of vulnerability and authenticity, and maybe examining some of the cultural scripts that can get in the way. Of desire? Yeah, and Pleasure. like vulnerability, yeah. authenticity. Um, and I think like Alex and I are going to be talking about our experience with some of that over the course of the past two years, specifically. Like. In, in heavily veiled terms, I assure you. <laughs> <laughs> I guess. What? Okay, why is this so hard? <laughs> it's like, what do you mean? So hard to talk about. Oh. To talk about sex and to like just get into it. I mean... That's what she said. <laughs> and not just make jokes. <laughs> or immediately intellectualize it, which are the two things that I really want to do right now. Anyone? Resident old-timey slut? (laughs) I mean, it's like the most vulnerable thing, right? Like admitting what you want. I mean, it's hard enough to like ask your coworker to do you a favor and, you know, take on some of your extra work or something like that, right? (laughs) But like just to admit like what you really, really want in a realm that's supposed to be secret and shameful. Yeah. I mean, not that mm. it's supposed to be, but, but it is. that's how we treat it or is so taboo. Admit that right? you don't know what mm. you want, which I think yeah. is in some ways a, a place we'll probably end up today, that we can be so disconnected from desire and pleasure in the realm of sex that we don't even really know what we do and don't want and that that can be something that feels really shameful and embarrassing and like you want to hide it Mm -hmm. right and that means you're frigid right like we'll find ways to shame ourselves no matter where we are on this spectrum right right yeah well and i think like you've in past episodes you've talked about sarah how like sex is where like adults play Mm -hmm. um and also it's like you're playing with a lot of what you're playing with is like vulnerability and power. I feel like it is sort of like a, uh, the most elemental like playground of understanding power interchange. And I think that's kind of like what we're talking about today. And reciprocity. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I think anytime we're talking about power, we're also talking about the potential to have like reciprocal relationships. Um, 
and that's really hard and not modeled and definitely not modeled in the way we see sex portrayed uh, yeah. in our culture. Yeah. And I think, I mean, even when I say power, it like brings to mind like uh, force or like assertion, like th- things that are scary in relationship to sex, but like it can also just mean like the, I don't know. I'm trying to think of like another word to use that isn't that loaded, <laughs> but like the sort of like interchange and like you're saying, like reciprocity and like, um, you know, what one person wants versus what another person wants and how that's given and received. And I don't know. It's like, there's a lot there. Um, and it, there is a bunch of like, there's a bunch of baggage there is. that comes with it. Right. And I guess that gets me thinking about like, one of the reasons why I probably feel a little bit vulnerable talking about this as a therapist mm. um, is because I think more so in this realm for me than in others, I'm like, well, if you're a therapist, you're supposed to have this shit all worked out and you're supposed to be like really confident and blase about sex as a way of like offering a counterpoint to, you know, whatever insecurities or um, experiences of shame your clients have. You know, so I, I imagine in my mind, <laughs> there's like the TV sex therapist cliche who's like, why? Why would we talk about sex or our bodies in any way other than how we might talk about going to the grocery store <laughs> or driving our car? And it's like, wait, because you're fucking naked and it's totally different. And like, <laughs> nobody feels that way about sex. Fuck you, imaginary cliche therapist mm, in my head. Yeah. <laughs> Is it like, it's like Dr. Ruth or? Uh, Maybe, yeah. Uh, There's definitely like that archetype of the like older middle-aged woman who mm-hmm. was just kind of like looking at all, all of us with amusement. Like, right. oh, look at all of these people who think that sex is a big deal. And it's like, well, e- well yeah, but we like grew uh-huh. up in a culture that messaged that to us in the most brutal ways possible from right. the moment we were able to receive messages. So. Yeah. Yeah. And that, I mean, that archetype is so real. And there, I, there are people out there who are like that. And I also feel like they represent like... 2% of the modeling that I actually got in terms of the way people like behave right. and talk right. about well, sex. Well, and 2% you know? high because you grow up in a crazy hippie right. household, right? <laughs> yeah, that's true. <laughs> For me, I'm it was like 0.02%. Yeah, totally. I mean, basically, I'm like this imaginary lady that Sarah just described and Cassidy on our last episode. Right. I thought was a great example of this. Not, I mean, not the, yeah. Mm-hmm. I was just so impressed. I came away from that episode so impressed with how comfortable and open she was talking about sex. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So we can follow in our friends. Yeah, stuff. that's good. I like that. Okay. Channeling Cassidy. There we go. <laughs> Where's that box of wine? <laughs> right. We need a box of wine. <laughs> um, because you need to be drunk to be able to mm. talk vulnerably about sex. Yes. Is that right, sir? <laughs> okay. yeah. Let me to say that more clearly. Yes. <laughs> cool. Well... <laughs> It's noon on a Monday, so. <laughs> um, yeah, okay. So we've managed to have a podcast for this long where we haven't directly talked about desire and the reasons why we're beginning to unpack. It's like, this is where people are vulnerable. This is where they're often hurt. This is where we risk feeling judged or rejected. Um, this is where we don't have a lot of modeling for talking about it. Um, mm-hmm. And as a result, we often will end up just defaulting to 
the cultural message that we like are swimming in and breathing in all the time. And I, I want to acknowledge here that I suspect in this episode we're going to be talking a lot about scripts and messages that have to do with cis, het, sexual dynamics and relationships. Um, so I just wanted to say that we're going to be spending some time in the binary and talking about how that has played out um, and how we may be have experienced that. And I have like some thoughts and insights on how these scripts and vulnerabilities show up in queer relationships and queer sex as well. Um, but, you know, seemed like a good moment to mention mm-hmm. that that's probably the case. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's a, it's a decent place to start, at least for us, because it's more about what our experience is like, but also like because of culture and stuff that those roles probably inform a lot of the, you know, the roles that are the things that are playing out when people who don't conform to the, like the gender binary or in queer sex or whatever, like some of those archetypes I'm sure are still showing up. Regardless. For sure. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Okay. So I I guess the place to start is to rewind a little bit and just ask you, Alex, when we opened up our relationship two years ago now and change, um, what were your expectations around sex? What were, what did you imagine it would be like? What were some early experiences? Where would you want to start to talk about this? Yeah, I don't know if I... um... I don't know what I imagined. I think I probably didn't have very much imagination. Oh, uh, I doubt that. Well, or like, <laughs> it was inaccurate, maybe, is what I want to say. Um, my imagination about sex is much better now. Uh, <laughs> I think that um, I, like, I don't think I knew really very clearly what I wanted. I probably knew, like, I want to be having sex with other people. And there was definitely, like, a sense of the desire to do that. Um, and it seemed interesting, but I did not know what I wanted out of that in some sort of like easy to articulate, you know, in terms of like kink or something like that, or just like, you know, some sort of like difference between the kind of sex that you and I were having. I definitely like didn't go into it being like, you know, I think sometimes either, I don't know if this is a cliche or if it's actually true, but there's like the idea that non-monogamous people, people enter non-monogamy because they want to fill some kind of gap in, you know, either the like level of sex drive with their partner or um, with their, you know, primary partner or uh, with like some kind of kink that they're out of alignment with um, that that other person's not interested in. I don't really feel like that was the case for us. I don't think it was for me. No, Um, not for me either. So I don't know that I could say like, this is what I want other than, you know, wanting to explore being with other people. Um, and I don't think I knew what other people wanted to, I didn't, I had a conception of like what, you know, again, I mean, mostly I was entirely dating women. Right. So I was thinking about like, what do women want? And I think I went into that in terms of sex with a total, I would say I've learned a lot (laughs) in, on that subject, like, uh, about like the way, most of the women that I've been with, like, I would not have been able to guess at that point, like, what their sort of sexual desire was like. Hmm. And I imagine that has something to do with it 
not being monolithic. Yes, kind of. Yes, not. But I would say there's there's like things that are consistent uh, that are way off script for what I would have thought. Hmm. Can, can you tell <laughs> what me what the you fuck mean? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, uh, I guess to get into it, like I okay yeah. So I had like a perception um, of. Uh, women tending to like probably be more passive um, and maybe like both passive, but also wanting being wanted to be treated gently. And almost every woman that I've been with has been an ex- expressed an ex- a desire on some level for like domination or um, like things to be rougher than I would have ever expected. Mm. Um, and like maybe that I've like wondered sometimes, does that come up because like I'm a pretty gigantic masculine person? <laughs> so maybe the people who are attracted to me are like have that interest and that's why they end up I end up with them. But it seems to be a pretty common thing. Yeah. Interesting. What about you? Uh, <laughs> well, yeah, it's interesting. I mean, I think. We're, we're getting into some of like that script territory pretty quickly. And, um, and obviously we can't speculate as to how other people feel or what they want or don't want. Uh, we can only really stay close to what we know about ourselves, but that's surprisingly hard. Um, and often going into sex with new people. And I think going into the entire experience of having sex with new people, um, a couple of years ago, I was just trying to figure out what they wanted. Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, and I think I, there are some definite scripts there with men. I mean, in my experience, most people want some combination of gentleness and roughness and sex, um, in maybe different ratios, um, or in different places. Uh, and I think that's also true with men. In, at least in my experience. Um, but I didn't really care about anything except figuring out what they wanted me to be and then being that mm-hmm. so that I could feel good about myself. I would say that's where I started. Yeah. And I, I totally get that. And everything I just said was basically in line with that. Mm-hmm. I was just, I like did some exploration, tried to find out. And what I found out was, oh, you know, this is pretty different than what I expected. Hmm. But then I had to contend with and continue to have to contend with like confusion for myself about like, do I want that? What do I want? Like, well, and how, I mean, again, I don't want to be in a position where I am speculating as to the authenticity of other people's desires. But I also sometimes wonder if like one thing is showing up over and over and over again Is that a totally tuned in reflection of a diverse group of people's desires? Or is that more of a reflection of what we think people want or what we think we're supposed to be or what we've seen? Right. You're saying what I just said might be that? I'm just saying, like, this is where we get into the Hall of Mirrors. Mm. Right. Yeah. And it's hard to know, uh, at least for me, where my perception of somebody's desire begins and ends. Yeah. And where mine begins and ends. Yeah. And uh, I think, if I may speak just specifically to that idea of rough sex, uh, 
one of the things I thought that I was learning quickly in the beginning was that that is what men wanted. Mm-hmm. Hmm. And so I was like, I'm going to show up hmm. excited for that before they even say anything. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Because that way I'm ahead of the game. Yeah, that's interesting. So we both discover <laughs> the same thing about the opposite gender. Well, it just but, has me wondering what yeah, we discovered. Right, right. Right. If it like it's just like very chicken and egg, uh-huh. right? Like mm-hmm. if someone if both people are just trying to guess what the other person wants and then there's this dynamic like right. exists in the culture, mm-hmm. then we're and, both like gonna perpetuate that. Yeah. yeah, and maybe you're in the context of non-monogamy too. So everybody is out there in that context, being like, "We want to do. We're like doing some taboo thing." Mm. So what's the taboo thing that comes to mind when we're having sex? And what's the most taboo thing? And what's the thing you're least likely to think that I want? And how can I fulfill mm-hmm. that desire? Mm-hmm. And I say this from the experience of going pretty quickly from having like. Mm, Quick sexual encounters with men where I was like, do I detect that they want that? Or do I think that maybe the culture would indicate? Or maybe because I'm in this realm of non-monogamy, I should offer that up, right? right? And being like, okay, this seems to be working. They all seem to be really excited about having sex with me because I'm doing this. Uh, But feeling scared. Because Mm -hmm. I was like, but doing this kind of sex without being able to communicate about it does not seem like a great idea for me. Mm -hmm. Especially as someone has like a trauma background um so then i immediately had two relationships with men that were more like explicitly kink relationships where they were sexually dominant Mm -hmm. in that way i found that helpful because at least even if i still wasn't entirely sure if i was in connected to my own desire here which i think i wasn't all the time Mm. but that we'll come back to that i think i was sometimes but not all the time Mm -hmm. um it was helpful because there was an explicit container and we had to talk about it. And right. that at least got me somewhere. So that's like what's coming up for me as I'm hearing you describe those early experiences and what maybe the other side of it in a way was like for me. Mm-hmm. Mm. Yeah. Well, and you talked about communication. I feel like that's like the, the like sort of most important thing that like maybe in a lot of cases we don't want to do is like actually actively communicate about what we want and then you end up just trying to intuit and so just to kind of play out the the sort of negative implications of that like you and I get together and I'm trying to vibe what you want you're trying to vibe what I want and then I do something and you act like you like it whether or not you do and so then I do that more because I'm like she likes that and then you're like oh he really likes doing that and so you act like you like it more and then the next thing you know, we're racing down the hall of mirrors. And nobody yeah. knows what the fuck mm-hmm. is going on anymore. <laughs> yeah. And I think I ended up in that place a number of times mm-hmm. in a number of different ways mm-hmm. early on. Yeah, that's interesting. Um, yeah, it makes me think about kink and how sort of like valuable it is because of that communication thing. Just the, to be able to be like. You know, obviously, like the descriptors around different kinks are like flawed and there's a lot of variation between them. But at least it's like people who are asserting like, I like, you know, rope play or, you know, I'm submissive or I'm dominant or, you know, there are all of these like terms that everybody kind of agrees on what they mean. And so you can find more of like a match, quote unquote. And 
they're all, I guess the definition of kink is sort of that it's like abnormal, but I kind of love that there's also like, uh, like being vanilla is something <laughs> that can be named in kink too. Yeah. And like, mm-hmm. so it, it is a, like uh, affirming that nothing is normal, I guess. Right. Yeah, I always wonder how vanilla is actually described. I actually just was looking at one of these mm. uh, tests that you're supposed to take that yeah, would yeah. like then mm-hmm. indicate all of your various sort of sexual mm. desires and proclivities. Yeah, and we stuff. can put a link to the one that everybody uses, which mm-hmm. I think is it confused the shit out of me. It's a little <laughs> confusing to me well. too. Um, and I do think that there's like a way. Hmm, we're just like in. So hard to talk about this stuff, as as I'll just keep coming back to. Mm. Because there's so much that is invisible and not spoken. Right. Right. As soon as we start trying to make it visible and speak about it, it gets clumsy and stupid. Yeah. Like very mm-hmm. quickly, mm-hmm. it just feels like clumsy and stupid and not actually like a nuanced representation of most people's sexuality probably mm-hmm. at least that's mm-hmm. my experience but you're like well it's better than nothing uh and so i think that's describing the the first arc of me having <laughs> sex with strangers uh-huh. yeah yeah, yeah. was like oh my god if we aren't talking about stuff and i'm just like racing down the hall of mirrors like i am not this is no good this is yeah. not good for me mm-hmm. now we're just gonna be in some clumsy stupid territory where it's like a little awkward and not totally representative but it feels better Mm-hmm. Well, know? and fair to say that you would experience that and be jarred by that, considering that, like, you and I spent 15 years walking slowly down the hall of years <laughs> and, like, kind of, like, figuring things out. And, like, the idea of doing all of that again without, and I mean, I don't know if you would agree with this, but, like, I feel like we we developed our sort of, like, sexual rapport without very much open communication and, like kind of figured it out or even like formed our interests as we went kind of mm-hmm. in this way that you only could over that over long, a long, long, amount, period, of long time. period of time with somebody that you had a lot of other things in common with that like you cared you know and then you know you wouldn't say our sexual dynamic could be described in like the percentages of one of those quizzes like right you know what i mean yeah uh-huh. because totally. it has that like long organic arc if yeah. you will yeah somebody want to say something <laughs> like make a sexual joke there i've left a lot hanging already in the <laughs> yeah. first 15 minutes Seriously. right so let's just that's what she let's said. Just pull out. <laughs> <laughs> okay, that's the last one you get are you sure <laughs> yeah mm-hmm. um but we'll add them in post <laughs> yeah, it's kind of interesting to think about that, uh, that over a long period of time with lots of time and safety to develop lots of different dynamics, you can, you know, over mm-hmm. the, the, like a, a multi-year relationship or a relationship where there's just like a lot of safety and yeah time to explore. Yeah. And I do want to give like a quick shout out to the benefits of having sex with other people to improve the sex you have with other yeah. people. <laughs> yeah. The, cro- the cross-pollination. Mm-hmm. The more people, as I'm sure though this old-timey slut who's doing this today <laughs> gets to, the more people you sleep with, 
the mm-hmm. more like information you get about what you like and what other people might like sure. and like, yeah. you know, the more moves you learn. Because it's all about the moves. It's all about the moves, people. I got a book of moves now. No. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, you know what I mean? Like, I think, I think like our, to, to just like put it bluntly, I think I thought that our sex life was good before we opened our marriage. That wasn't like the reason that we did. Um, and I still think that it was, it was good, but I think it's gotten better. Yeah, I agree. Since we've like dated other people partly because of all of the stuff that we've like it's not like learning moves that's stupid i was i was joking <laughs> not but, always but it's but like there's learning good, things there's that you good moves. There's yeah some moves. but learning things there's that you like and like i'm trying to think of a good <laughs> a few a good like metaphor or whatever it's just like getting more information yeah, yeah for sure mm-hmm. i think you also get more information about what stays the same Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Uh huh. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of interesting to me too. And I think like that might be a good entry point into talking about the the game that mm-hmm. we're going to talk about today, yeah. or like why it's come up, or why we're talking about it today. Is have sex with more people, and you do learn what's yeah. different and how things can be different, and you gather more information um, in that department, and you also learn a lot about what seems to keep being the same or the Mm -hmm. same things that keep showing up. And that got me pretty curious, I think, um, pretty quickly. Where I'm like, what, why is this happening every time? Like the hall of mirrors that we Mm -hmm. describe or like, why does it seem like this same dynamic or same presumed sexual dynamic keeps showing up? I'm like, am I attracting that? Like you were just saying, or is this just what people are defaulting to in this space or what is going on? Right. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so I think that um, uh, I was sort of lucky maybe to have kind of right away started dating somebody who was like more deeply engaged in this kind of thinking yeah. than I was. Or I was been. also lucky that you did that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, uh, yeah, and she just like taught me this game. I don't think it's really a game. It's more like an exercise, but... Um, um, so the way, so the way that this exercise goes is the first person would ask the second person. So Sarah would ask me, "How would you like to touch my body for your pleasure?" And then I would think about that question, and I would answer, um, "I would like you to um, rub my temples slowly, and I would like you to wait." But that's not the right one, mm-hmm. right, Alex? What? The, the first question is, how would you like to touch my body for your pleasure? It would be... <laughs> oh, sorry. You touching Sarah. Yes, sorry. <laughs> yeah. You want me to explain it? Sure. Okay. <laughs> I thought it would be nice to explain it in with a back and forth. I like so that, that idea. Not, yeah. Okay. I see. Mm-hmm. But yes. I did not listen to the question you asked me. <laughs> <laughs> so, coming back to this theme, it's hard to talk about this stuff. Yeah. Right? Definitely. It is. Yeah. Um, and no matter how much experience you have with it, it still is. Yeah. Because we don't have a lot of practice, and it feels mm-hmm. weird. Uh, and it's not the same as talking about going to the grocery store, which we also have to do later. Okay. Yeah. Do you want to go, or should I go? <laughs> do you I want feel, me I feel like you to want, me want to go. you to go, or do you, do you want to I actually, want I actually like going to the grocery to store, but I know that you don't like it, so I want to make it seem like something that I don't like doing, so that I get credit for having done it. 
Oh, yeah. All right. That makes sense. This is a good illustration. Cool. Uh, <laughs> Much easier to talk about also. So, yeah, in the in the three minute game, uh, you would ask me, you would invite me to, you know, there's kind of a few different, four different questions that we'll ask each other. I'll ask you two and you'll ask me two. And the first question you would ask me would be, how would you like to touch my body for your pleasure? And I would say, I want to like stroke your hair and I want to um, put my fingers on your lips and I want to put my fingers in your mouth and I want to, <laughs> why are you making that face? You're supposed to like receive what I'm saying I'm without judgment, perhaps. Um, and I want to stare deeply into your eyes and then I want to kiss you deeply and then I want to take your shirt off. And uh, I'm going to stop there. It's getting Okay, I think, I'm, I think we're going to have to stop the podcast. Yeah. <laughs> Let's take a break. No. Let's take a break. Um, so, Bathroom break. Yeah. <laughs> so I asked you that. I guess this is reversed here. And then you would think about it. And um, and this I think this part is important. You don't just like say... Yeah. Okay. Like mm-hmm. you're, you're, I'm really supposed to think about what I want to, what I want to do with you. Right. And that it's, I think important to also emphasize that that, especially the first time you play this game with somebody is not meant to represent every desire you would ever have, or like be the ultimate expression of your sexuality. It's just like, what do you feel like doing in that moment? Right. Mm-hmm. And so since I, I was looking at your face while I was thinking about that, and trying not to say something that sounded too pervy because of the context. <laughs> Those were the things that came to mind. So then you think about what I said and what do you think? Well, it's interesting that my first reaction would be to just say, yeah, great, let's do it. Mm-hmm. Um, which I think I, I did say more or less. Yeah. Uh, and that's like a deep programming that mm-hmm. just comes up almost immediately. Um, but now thinking about it more... I, (laughs) it makes me, much of that sounds lovely. All of that sounds lovely. And I have a thing about people messing with my hair (laughs) 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 because Mm. I have curly hair Mm -hmm. and it's like, it's complicated to have very curly hair. And so if people do a lot of stuff to my hair, like, especially like stroking, it's like you're pulling the curls down. Uh Uh-huh. Uh, which does mean I don't want to ever ha- not have my hair stroked, but it does mean that it's like a little more complicated than an easy yes. Um, so I guess if I was thinking about it, I would say, uh, okay, I like all of those ideas, but I don't want you to touch my hair. Yeah. Okay, cool. Amended. I won't touch your hair. How about if I, um, just skip that part altogether? Okay. Sounds good. That is not easy to do though. No. Okay. And then just to like follow through on what would happen then, we would set a timer for three minutes and I would for three minutes do all of the things that I described. Um, And of course, like you can't, you don't have to like remember it verbatim perfectly, whatever you can ask for reminders. But um, yeah. And so just like, should we continue on? Yeah. What do you think? Jessica? Sure. Yeah. No, it's interesting that it's so sort of like directional, right? Like there's, this is stuff that I want to do to you. Which, like, I guess I normally if I was like, you know, doing this with someone and they're touching my hair and my face and stuff like that, I'm not just going to like not respond. But that like kind of feels like how the setup of the game is. Like, are you just supposed to lie there? (laughs) Yeah. I mean, it's like one person is for the 
for for it to sort of work for the exercise to work one mm. person is more active and one person is more passive <laughs> and so like the other rounds are going to be that then um you know sarah is gonna ask how she can touch me for her mm-hmm. and then i'm gonna uh ask and then she's gonna ask me how i can touch her for her and then i'm gonna ask her to touch me for me which makes right, sense right so the directions right. are very important uh because it's like I'm doing in half of the things and she's doing in the other half of the things. Mm-hmm. But when I'm doing things to her, we're going to do it. I'm going to do the things that I want to do to her. Right. And then I'm going to do the things that she wants me to do to her. Right. And those things are different. And it's really important to like discern those two things because like you're saying, yeah, what you usually do is we're both like doing things at the same time. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, and I guess your response is supposed to confirm your physical response hmm. is supposed to confirm for the other person that, that you like what they're doing. Right. Hmm. Mm-hmm. So pausing for a second. Yes. I think making this speaks to the theme that's just coming up again and again. This stuff is hard and it feels really awkward in part because those different quadrants of desire are not actually ever explicitly made visible and we don't really talk about them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But I think this is really interesting because if I'm sleeping with a new person or if I'm getting physical with a new person, the idea that all of these quadrants would just like be mashed together in the drunken dark and we would just be like, hope everybody's attuned to mm-hmm. what's going on and things work <laughs> out okay is actually kind of scary. Yeah. Um, it's pretty yeah. scary. And the cliches of like good sex, I feel like the feminine cliche of good sex, if I may, <laughs> is he just knew exactly what to do, exactly what I wanted, right? Right. And the masculine cliche of good sex is like, I just did whatever I wanted to her and she was loving it. Mm-hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. Or just in general, the cliche that like, we just both knew exactly what to do at exactly the right, right. time. And yeah. like, no and words, just moans. Can I size. just say, how the fuck <laughs> is that ever actually going to happen in real life? It's right. not. No. You've, you all have had sex before. It's not happening like that. It's right? not happening no. like that. Yeah. And that's why I think people's first reaction, we've, oh, we're stuck on the first quadrant. And I do think that it is <laughs> worth working no, our way through the other ones. Stuff, yeah. But people's first reaction to this, including mine, is maybe a little bit like yours, which is mm-hmm. this seems very awkward and mm-hmm. like not a mm-hmm. thing that would be fun. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And like that's what I said the first time that I played it internally. And I think I said it out loud is like, why does it have to be for one of us or the other one of us? Right. Why can't it be for both of us? Right. That's like what you want it to be because, yeah. I mean, why? Why do you think that you? Well, just because it's like that is such the idea of, like, what good sex is is that you're like both equally getting the same amount of pleasure at the exact same time Mm -hmm. from every action that's happening. I mean, and I've heard this as like a critique of the way straight people talk about sex totally. versus queer people that yeah. like the idea of taking turns is like mm. seen as kind of bad in yeah. heterosex, you know, and like, and the goal why? is that you <laughs> right. are like, like coming simultaneous, simultaneously yeah. after like, a you know, activity arc that everybody felt exactly the same about without ever communicating a single word. About. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. I mean, that is, <laughs> 
rape culture. Mm. Honestly. Hmm. Yeah. 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 So. Yeah. The, what was that? I mean, that sound effect that right. you're going to have for when I introduce trauma? Sad trauma. <laughs> Record scratch. And, the, oh, the, yeah. The rape culture sad trauma. Yeah. Well, and what I just described as the masculine thing is like not that far from the other person just isn't there or they're asleep or whatever roofing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And the totally idea passive. that yeah. the, it would be so awful and so awkward and so unsexy to identify the ways we might be the same or different mm. using language. Right. That like, that is just like so awful that in and of itself also serves rape culture. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. How yeah. would you ever find out the things that you could do simultaneously with reciprocal pleasure and joy if you never even identified these different types of giving and receiving pleasure? Yeah. Right. And then found the overlap. Yeah. But I mean, I am so deeply programmed to think like, as soon as we're talking about it, as soon as we're doing it in this explicit way, I mean, it's just so unsexy and I'm like already mocking myself. I'm thinking of the archetypal therapist being like, right. why can't we just talk about it? Like we're going to the grocery mm-hmm. store, you know, like yeah. I'm already making fun of myself before we even get there because there's so much heavy policing against doing that. Yeah. Yeah. So there's a really like <laughs> better articulated explanation of this game on <laughs> Betty Martin's website. We'll talk about her in a second and we'll link to that from the show notes, but like it's, I just want to like dig in a little bit more to um, not not trying too hard to do exactly that and talk about some of the things that are like happening with it because like it's crazy to me that just in doing that exercise, just me saying those things kind of as a joke and you responding to them, you felt like you needed to not just say "Don't touch my hair," I don't want you to touch my hair. Mm-hmm. You had to explain mm-hmm. why and mm-hmm. give a bunch of reasons right. rather than just being able to say, you know. I prefer we skip that part. And I have to say, like, when I played this game the first time the other person said something like that, I think kind of probably just to, like, make a point about how that was something that you could do. Mm. And even just hearing a woman say to me, I don't want you to do something that you've asked to do. I just, like, died inside. Mm -hmm. It was, like, the worst thing that had ever happened Mm. to me. And it's, like, Mm. so interesting to think about that in, in retrospect that, like, I had never, like, most of my sexuality was formed around the idea that I would, like, never do something or want to do something that another person wouldn't want Hmm. to happen. Even to the extent that hearing them say that. In a container explicitly about that. In a container (laughs) explicitly about (laughs) a specific invitation to them to, like, say that and respond to what I'd asked for was, like, Hmm. very difficult. Because it felt like shame, shaming. Yeah. Yeah. That's so, yeah, man, y'all, it's so sad. Mm-hmm. It is. It's very sad, which is yeah. also one of the reasons why it's really hard to talk about. Yeah. Um, and that, like, hall of mirrors that you're in where you're, like, afraid of that feeling of being rejected or afraid mm. of someone else feeling that as a result of your desire or lack of desire to do something mm-hmm. sets us down this path where, like, we no longer really know what is going on with ourselves or the other person. And I, I'm not saying yeah. that like all sex that we have that doesn't have like some 
portion that is explicit like this is bad. I don't think that's true. Um, and you know, to your earlier point, you and I had good to great sex for many, many years without ever having this kind of language available. Mm -hmm. yeah. And it got a lot better after we did. Um, and, and I think that was because there was a lot of trust and there was a lot of time and there was a lot of compatibility and there were a lot of factors that made that possible. So I don't want to sit yeah. here and say like, this is the only way that you could have non-rapey no, no. sex or something. I would no. think of this as uh, a shortcut. Like when you and I play this game, it's like fun and uh, and like maybe we learn some new stuff, but for the most part, we kind of just like want to do <laughs> the same stuff, and it's hard to tell whose turn is whose sometimes because we have that level of rapport developed over a really long time. Right. But you're not going to just instantaneously have that with everybody. Um, so it, yeah, I think that it it's bringing some value in the like learning about mm -hmm. a a newish person. Yeah. This. I mean, I think this is so interesting and it brings up such wild and intense stuff that is both sad and also potentially very exciting and interesting. Yeah. So I want to like keep that space available to us too. Um, yeah. And like it's, uh, we've made this all sound very <laughs> terrible, but the fact is if you play this game with somebody who you're attracted to, it's, you're going to have fun. It might be hard, but it's like gonna, you're gonna end up doing things and have things done and having things done to you that you want. Yeah. And like it's gonna feel good. I've never like played this game and just been like, whoa, that was a total that sucked. unsexy train wreck. <laughs> yeah. It's not quite the same as like an awkward icebreaker at a workshop. No. Not quite. Unless it's a workshop where you're gonna fuck everybody else at the <laughs> workshop and you want to. But so just to be clear, because I want there to be like a section of this where we actually identify the four quadrants. Mm -hmm. Um the first one is someone asking, can I touch your body in these ways? Mm -hmm. Because I want to. Mm -hmm. The second one is, how would you like to touch my body? Because you want to. Mm -hmm. The third one is, how would you like me to touch your body? Mm -hmm. Because you want me to. And then the fourth one is, Will you touch my body? Will you touch my body in, in this way because, because I, I want, want you, you to. to? Yeah, right. So it's like the matrix of giving pleasure and receiving pleasure, um, and taking pleasure and allowing for pleasure to be taken. Mm-hmm. Very interesting. Mm. Um. Yeah, and I think the question part of it always gets me confused. Like the fact that like I'm supposed to ask you, you know, how would you like to touch my body for your pleasure, and then you're supposed to answer. Um, but I do think the invitation is probably important. There's probably mm -hmm. a reason the game is designed that way to like make sure that, you know, you're mm -hmm. inviting me and then I'm asking and then you're consenting to what I'm asking. Yeah. The other thing that's just coming up for me here, Jessica, I appreciated you mentioning like, oh, this is getting me thinking about critiques, queer critiques of mm -hmm. like typical straight sex um, mm -hmm. where there's all these just like, assumptions that there's pretty much one way for it to be good <laughs> and you better just get there through mastery or dumb luck we don't know mm -hmm. uh, and probably everyone's doing it except for you uh, it also that connection to 
queerness is interesting to me because it gets me thinking about the assumption that once we're becoming intimate with each other or asking any of these questions, the point is for us to have a certain kind of sex together. Hmm. Mm-hmm. Like, that this will end in penis and vagina sex, mm-hmm. right? And that's the whole point of this. Um, and it just gets me thinking about, like, all the ways that you can experience pleasure and have intimacy without that being this, like, overwhelming kind of, like, blaring success or failure mm-hmm. kind of light flashing in a corner. Yeah. Any thoughts about that, Alex? Well, it's just making me think about how, like, uh, if you are if you have a goal-oriented kind of orientation towards sex, then, like, the goal is orgasms. Mm-hmm. But, like, you know, you can give yourself an orgasm. In most cases, people can. Like, I don't think I've ever heard somebody say, I can't make myself orgasm. Only other people can do that. Hmm. Often it's the opposite. So, like... I guess it's just like there's clearly more to sex than just achieving orgasms, mm-hmm. right? It's about the other person being there and the dynamics between the two of you and the way that it feels to like accept the things that they want to do with you and um, be accepted for the things that you want to do. Like these vulnerabilities and like power interplays are like what makes it interesting. It's the Otherwise, very act of exploring. Be, all jerking off in isolation. Right. <laughs> Nothing wrong with that either. <laughs> Which we will do in the future right. when our robo- robot overlords have taken taken sex from us, the last thing that we have. Mm-hmm. Right, so I'm the ra- point I'm is... I'm writing a dystopian sci-fi novel in my head right now. It's going to be really good. The point is the exploring, and yet we are cutting ourselves off from that pretty systematically right. mm-hmm. in the kind of assumed unexamined culture of especially yeah. a certain kind of sex yeah. that we have. So Sarah, coming out of the break, um, I'm realizing that uh, we've been talking a lot about like sort of how this all of this stuff shows up for us and like what we've learned in our relationship about desire. And, um, I guess I'm just interested in like, how does this show up for your clients? Are we complete fucking weirdos? Are other people talking about this? (laughs) What? No. What's going on with everybody Oh my God, it's everywhere. And I think like one of the reasons why it's so difficult and I'm finding like personally difficult, personally, emotionally difficult to talk about in Uh the podcast is because it's so prevalent. Uh And I would say like this feeling, I've heard it described a couple of ways among clients and also friends of mine. Um, And right now I'm speaking primarily about women, um, women identifying people Mm -hmm. and people who are assigned female at birth, um, which is most of my client base, not all of it. But uh, this idea, people will describe something they call like the switch being flipped that you're having a really good time with somebody, you're like having good conversation, you feel like seen and like you're seeing them and you're getting excited about getting physical with them. And then the switch flips and suddenly it's like they're not there and you're not there. And something is just happening and it's the thing that has always been happening. I've heard that exact Mm. terminology so many times. It's like, 
the thing that has always been happening in the dark with men. Mm. You know, like this very, Jessica, I noticed that you were nodding emphatically (laughs) right now. Very familiar. Yeah. And it sounds like you're not just talking about like things that have been happening with them specifically, but also like some sort of like broader whatever. I don't even know how to. um, I had a friend here recently who described being on a date where they'd gone out on multiple dates with this person, been really excited about getting physical with them. And then what happened, they were like, I didn't feel like I wasn't me and they weren't them. Mm -hmm. And we were just doing that thing. That's what they said. That switch flipped and we were just doing that thing. And I think, like, Mm. that speaks to this idea that, like, we no longer sometimes feel like we are present and connected to ourselves and each other, especially maybe with new partners, um, when excitement can be high, but also fear of rejection can be high, um, when there's, like, a lot of potential for good and scary things to be activated. And because that can be overwhelming, we just default to what we know. Mm. And maybe what we know doesn't always feel that great, mm-hmm. but it's what we do. Yeah. And maybe, yeah, what we know is some of that kind of universal for all time generational trauma. Yeah. And those scripts yeah. that are so hard to get away from it. I say this all the time, like these kinds of scripts are easy to absorb and hard to extract. Um, and they're designed that way. Um, and I think they're presented to us that way. And I also want to just like make sure that I'm, I'm also talking about the other side of this for women. One is that feeling of just things are now being done to me. Mm. Mm-hmm. And I'm just like, I've, I've described it as I'm like, I am now being pressed against a hard surface. <laughs> this is what it feels like, you know, and things are being done to me. Mm. And when I first started having sex with new people, you heard me say that. I was mm-hmm. like, why am I doing Definitely. this? Mm-hmm. Why would I just have the experience of being pressed against a hard surface by yeah. weird men from the internet? I don't see what I'm going to learn here. Right. I know this feeling already. I know it too well, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's just crazy that then I went out there and I heard a bunch of like, could you just press me against a hard surface? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's not actually what people were saying, but like, you know, like we we're saying up top, it was like... Um, I think that maybe that feels like a physical description when I mean it to be metaphorical. Yes. Um, It wasn't so much about an act as it was about the feeling of disappearing. Mm -hmm. It was the feeling of disappearing. Like that I was just another person that had been in this same position with this person a million times. Mm -hmm. Um, So it's not, uh, it wasn't about like the gentleness or the roughness of the act. I I don't... um, I guess since we're talking about it, I like gentleness and I like roughness. Mm-hmm. It's not, that's not the problem. Yeah. It was about whether or not I felt present and I felt like they were. And that was for some reason, the description that explained it to me. Uh huh. Um, but it was the lack of presence kind of. That yeah. Was and it's like, yeah. I also had the experience of men performing, like being a man who is good in bed. <laughs> right? Yeah. Like, and, like giving you lots of orgasms, that kind of thing. Right. Like someone, <laughs> people who are like, and now I am doing the thing where I am a man who is good in bed. Uh-huh. And that also, I didn't feel like I was there. <laughs> you know, uh-huh. it still was also they not like attuned a rose to in me. Their teeth yeah, exactly. Yeah. Like it's an, in, you just feel kind of invisible. Uh-huh. Like, yeah, this is not about who I am uniquely. And you're not expressing a curiosity about yeah. that. Um, 
Can I uh, like talk about the background of this game a little bit? Because I think it Please. starts to like get into some of this. So this game that we're describing was like articulated. Apparently some dude named Henry something with an amazing website that we'll link to uh, invented it, quote unquote. But uh, this woman named Betty Martin, who was a chiropractor, body worker. She had a bunch of other sex therapists. She had a bunch of other jobs over 30 years of experience. Um, and she wrote a book called The Art of Receiving and Giving the Wheel of Consent. And um, so I'm going to read some of the stuff that it says on our website about it. But I want to like think a little bit about like how this is all framed around consent. And when I hear about consent or like one of the big things is like, I mean, I guess it's about what do you want? But like, um, I think many of us are a lot, a few steps further down the hall of mirrors than just like, am I being raped or am I raping somebody like that's kind of where or it starts. Or am I doing so, allowing someone to do something to me that I don't want right right yeah. and well, I think what we're hearing yeah. in this conversation is there's a lot of like passive consent and consent that you don't really mean or that you're playing out some kind of script that you won't, don't want to be playing out so it's more complicated than than just that. Did, were you going to say something? Uh, I mean I think I wanted to get into the pressure that women can then sometimes feel in these situations where it's like, I want your enthusiastic consent and tell me exactly what you want. And that also can feel unfair and sort of not super attuned to what the experience of being a woman in this world can be like. Um, so yeah, I have like a few thoughts about that as well, but maybe that makes sense after we talk about Betty Martin's background. Uh, I just want to read this thing, which yeah. talks about that a little bit. So on, on our website about this, she says, while much of consent education focuses on noticing what we don't want or prevention of violation, Betty has developed a pleasure forward approach to teaching consent by first accessing and awakening, sometimes reawakening our body's relationships to pleasure and what we want. We can practice noticing and verbalizing what we don't want. Such an approach provides a much more holistic frame in which to unlearn childhood conditioning that taught us to be silent and compliant and in which individuals can learn to ask for what they want and state what they don't in a more empowered way. Uh, and then she also said in her client sessions, she noticed a pattern wherein many clients would allow or go along with discomfort or unease rather than speak up for what they wanted or didn't want. Betty discovered there was a, this was a major component missing for people. Sorry. Betty discovered there was a major component missing for people, the confidence that we have a choice about what is happening to us. So when I read that, I really thought of something that you said, I think on the last episode of the podcast about like that, like childhood stuff of like enduring and like being okay with things that were happening as an expression of love, love. Um, and so it's, I mean, it's kind of honestly cool to hear it reiterated that that's like a thing that shows up for a lot of people and that kind of fucks us up in terms of sex and consent. Yeah. And I think I appreciate this, especially because it goes into nuances beyond like someone is forcing themselves on you, right? Yeah. Or you're no longer capacity, have the capacity to know what you want. Um, and into a realm where we may be conditioned to just endure things and not even be totally connected to the fact that that's what's happening. Right. Because that conditioning is so deep. Yeah. Um, and I think like this speaks to something that will also show up for me and with clients and with friends of mine who I talk to, um, especially for women and women identifying people that sometimes I think the response, the cultural response to this is like, I just want women then to tell me exactly what they want. 
right? I, here I am. I'm asking you, what do you want? Tell me what you want. I want to give it to you, right? Mm-hmm. And at first glance, that feels like um, the counterpoint to all of this enduring of things that you don't like. But I think what people don't really always consider is if you've spent a lifetime being told and conditioned that you don't actually have real desire beyond the desire to be desired, Mm -hmm. that you have like been living in a hall of mirrors related to that as like part of the cultural condition of your very gender, that then to suddenly be like, well, why can't you tell me what you want? Mm-hmm. If you were a sexy, confident woman, you'd be able to tell me exactly what you want. And then I could give it to you. It's like, mm-hmm. fuck you. Like I have been basically told my entire life that my very value, my existential value is tied to whether or not you find me attractive. You think I'm sexy and desirable. Mm-hmm. Right. So the risk that I'm taking here is not just one of rejection. It's one of like fucking oblivion. That's a huge ask from you. Mm-hmm. It, and it's, it's bigger than a hurt ego, you know? Um, and I think like that pain or that wound is something that gets missed sometimes. And I feel clearly pretty strongly about it. Yeah. And so you're the, by oblivion, you're saying that you're like, your sort of very existence is, is created to like attract or gratify male desire on on some level whether or not it's like explicit but that's like kind of your to be desired to be desired and it's sort of like your presumed role in the world or the thing that you're always trying to overcome if you're moving into non-male like sexist spaces i guess right Um, and the thing that has to come first before i can layer anything else that's important to me on top of it mm -hmm. right we have to establish that i have some kind of value in that department Mm -hmm. that i've succeeded in establishing that value for you to take me seriously intellectually creatively as a fucking peer emotionally in the world right but then the thing is also going to be the thing that undermines all of your contributions in those ways as well or could be used to at any minute right yeah so that's, I guess, why this is hard for me to talk right. about. And yeah. it, because it gets into some deep existential territory for me. Um, and it's not, it's not like this is stuff that gets dismantled through some exercises. Um, but I sure. really appreciate finding ones that like, give us the opportunity to start even just like naming how this shows up. Right. Yeah, and you in might, the dark between people, mm-hmm. right? And it might just help you know how fucked up it all is, mm-hmm. if nothing else. But yeah, I mean, and I would say there's like a, this is a hard thing to do with. It's a hard thing for people to do, um, like, and I think you were saying during the break that just like even the idea of having this described to you can be sort of like triggering for some people. And how like these questions, I think for often for women. Um, and people who were socialized as women uh, and people who were assigned female at birth, like the, these questions start to be very existential. Mm. And I know that like, we're also talking about, we can talk about rejection on a lot of different levels, but yeah. I had written down in my notes here, why does a man rejecting a woman in this space feel so much worse to me than the other mm. way around? And that was like a question I had kind of underlined in the notes. Why does the risk feel so much bigger to me. Yeah. Wait, a man rejecting, just like not wanting to have sex with a woman. Right. Okay. okay. 
and right, say you were like right, in this right. game or something and yeah. a woman was like vulnerably telling you what she wanted mm-hmm. right and then the man was like no thanks not for me let's try something else right, right. well and that's a little bit different than just being object uh, rejected for who you are i mean that's what i was thinking about when you were saying that that stuff a second ago was like uh you're being told be free assert your desire and then are you really safe to assert that desire? Absolutely If you not. do, like, Absolutely it's not. great if you're hot and that desire is a thing that's gratifying to me, exactly. but like, what if it's not? Right. Yeah. Then the risk that you're taking is one that your actual value as a human being is declining in this like yeah. cultural script that we're talking about. Right. Um, and that kind of terror just really claws at yeah. me. And I guess <laughs> like my throat. Yeah. And like the flip side of that is, you know, like the worst thing that a man can be is a rapist or rapey or, you know, skeevy or a predator or mm-hmm. something like that. And it's true that those aren't the same. Like that feels that sounds really bad to me. I don't want to be that. But it's not the same thing as what you're describing of just like kind of ceasing to exist or you, like not getting to be a, yeah. a person. Mm. You don't count anymore. Like right. the, the price, the cost for even beginning to count is that a man finds me desirable and that I have succeeded in understanding how to get him to desire me. And once I've done that and I've like met that level of the agreement, the cultural agreement, then I can maybe start layering some other stuff on there. And I, I say this like mm. I'm speaking in really crude, mm-hmm. really bright, really yeah. cruel terms sure. because I'm trying to get at what feels so hard about this to me and why I have been angry at moments with my partners when they've been like, just tell me what you want. I just want to know mm-hmm. what you want. And I'm like, it's not that simple. <laughs> yeah. And the, I mean, I think that's why the like house of mirrors, how, no hall, hall of, of mirrors, mirrors yeah. house of cards, snake eating its tail. It's like so confusing when you put it that way or talk about that, like fear of be of your desire being, rejected because it's like inherently your desire as an AFAB person is like defined by male sexuality kind of, you know, or it like has been, you've been told that your whole life. So like you're supposed to want things that men think are sexy and it's really hard to separate out any, like what's actually real in any of that. Right. Right. What if, I mean, who knows what if it is actually coming from the actual man that's there? Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, how much we all are just fed the same, you know, images and scripts. Mm-hmm. And I think this is starting to illuminate for me. Like, there's been times when I've tried to, I've, like, presented this game to, like, a new partner. And they've had a really hard time with it. Um, including, like, people mm-hmm. who I've later built a lot of rapport and connection with. But, like, there has to be a lot of trust. Mm-hmm. To ask somebody mm-hmm. to, you know, share their desires and like that trust is not just about like being really chill or whatever, right? Mm-hmm. No, <laughs> it's about that you actually trust, like that they probably, see you and value mm-hmm. you and are attuned to you and like notice <clears throat> the things about you mm-hmm. that are not just monolithically your gender mm-hmm. or mm-hmm. your mm-hmm. sort of feminine archetype, but unique and specific to you. And that that seems important to them mm-hmm. and valuable. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> Creating like that kind of safety and trust is like, that's hard. Yeah. You know, it, 
I don't, you know, probably any person doesn't feel like that level of safety with very many people in their entire lives. It takes a lot to get there. Yeah. So I think one of the things that, you know, we move into talking about what are mistakes that have been made Mm. in regards to how this game has shown up or how this, these dynamics have shown up for me. Uh, I'm realizing as we're talking about it, that with a new partner playing this game or doing this exercise in a way where sex is actually not on the table Hmm. would probably be really fun and interesting Mm -hmm. where it's like, we're not having sex tonight. Mm -hmm. That's not what's happening. Mm -hmm. But I would like to try this with you and see how it feels and then talk about it. Um, and I think in general, as it's, you know, the irony of being a therapist and then also like revealing your own vulnerabilities at the same time. (laughs) Um, I often will talk to clients about giving themselves permission to not have sex Mm -hmm. or people in relationships to take a break Mm -hmm. and to try what it feels like to be intimate and physical and close in different ways. Mm-hmm. whether with yourself or other people. Um, because I think we can get one of these scripts that we get into or an element of them is that we rush to sex as a shortcut to intimacy. Mm-hmm. And in fact, that's where a lot of this kind of like pain or missing each other or invisibility can happen. Mm. Um, mm-hmm. I don't know. What do y'all think about that? I can just hear oh, my partners yeah. being like, oh, great. So okay. it's going to be even longer. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, until we have sex. <laughs> I mean, I feel like the total stereotype in dating culture, at least in like cishet dating culture, which I'm the most familiar with, is that like you are like sleeping with the person by date three. Right. Otherwise, you don't have chemistry. Right. Exactly. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And that's just sort of like the assumption. That's the standard. You feel like a total weirdo if you don't do that. You know, and I definitely like in most of my dating life, almost always, yes, slept with the person on somewhere between dates one to three, maybe four or five, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, sometimes because I was like super into it, but probably more often just because I was like, well, this is the thing that you have to do. I don't, you know, this is just how it works, you know? Um, and I always think about the fact that my husband and I actually dated for like a month, maybe even like two months almost before we slept together. Um, and that was like a total outlier. Um, and, uh, clearly it was like, it worked for me. You know, we got married. (laughs) I was a fan, (laughs) which is not to say that I haven't had like good sexual relationships with other people, but it was like really the first time ever in my adult dating life that I felt like I was allowed to just not have sex right away. Mm. Um, and then it like gives you a chance to, yeah, like think about your desire or like, what do you actually, how do you actually want to go about this? Um, and it definitely was like a different level of emotional intimacy. Yeah. And you can see how those like scripts about even when you do or don't do it and what it means and how gender plays into that are so claustrophobic. Mm. Like, Mm -hmm. I know that I'm always afraid that people will think that I'm sexually repressed or a prude because I don't want to have sex with people right away. Mm-hmm. Um, and, yeah. and then I also am sometimes afraid that 
they'll think because it's taking me a long time, it means I want to have a really serious emotional relationship. Right. But it's like, You're like no, neither. Like, no, 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 no. Yeah. Well, and like, I've had the experience of having sex with somebody right away and having them be really passive. And like, I'm just mm. saying that because that's a kind of combination of those two things or like mm. maybe the ultimate expression of like what you might think a man would want and like that being a really bad experience Mm -hmm. so like i'm definitely Mm -hmm. like expecting people to want to have sex with me and affirm that they want to and also like express like uh their own kind of desire yeah and like assert their sexuality and that's like a big ask ask yeah and that's gonna take some time and some special people yeah probably yeah and that, yeah, I do want to um, just like think about the, you know, if we're thinking about this gender binary and the, the wheel of consent, I want to like think about the man's corner <laughs> over here yeah, for, the, for a second. Yeah, thanks, Alex. Yes, the man's corner. The man's corner. Just like give me thirty seconds for the man's corner. No. Um, because I think the thing that's challenging for men in the, in this era maybe is like okay, like learning how to not just have your desire be like the complications around like your own desire. Are you being overly assertive? I definitely grew up being like, don't be overly assertive about your desire and don't be all of those things that I described. Like don't be rapey, but also you need to like understand what your desire is and own it in part because most of your partners are going to want to see that you're asking them to do that. And they're going to expect you to do that as well. Not to mention that, like, if you're with women, they've been sort of conditioned to see their value reflected in your desire for them. Right. So, like, you can't just leave that on the table. Right. But then also getting comfortable, like, allowing women to take pleasure from you, which is like that other dimension of the wheel. It's like one of the kind of, like, for things that you would do. And that's not a space that I don't think men really mm. have a lot of, like, uh, a lot of examples of, mm-hmm. or like ever really mm-hmm. get told to do in a way that isn't just like, it's all about what you want actually, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. So like, I guess I'm just like saying that as a, as a, a point of, <laughs> of contemplation or whatever, <laughs> like, how do yeah. you feel as a man about a woman like, desiring you and like wanting to get pleasure from you in a way that isn't just like for you, but in fact for them. Yeah. Yeah, There's a lot of pressure in all directions. Um, and it makes me think it's like, I feel like sometimes I'm a broken record. Like (laughs) I think it's just about curiosity. Uh (laughs) You just need to ask people questions. Um, I have this joke that, uh, I have on my dating profile, I love it when you ask me questions and it's very rare that someone does when they reach out to me mm-hmm. and I'm often on dates with people and I'll be like, you know, because I'm a therapist and a journalist by trade, I ask so many questions. I love it when people ask questions of me. And again, it's like mm-hmm. hard to get that back in turn. Um, and I think that there, so there's like some kind of curiosity gap to be explored there. And also whether or not I'm actually making myself vulnerable to have people ask me questions or if I'm still like kind of controlling it by always just being the question asker. Yeah. Which I think aligns with some of this desire. Mm. Yeah. Desirability stuff. The reason that being with a therapist and talking about your feelings with a therapist is easier or being with a sex worker 
and expressing your desire with a sex worker is easier is because it's one-sided yeah. and you've cut off a whole mm-hmm. half of that wheel mm-hmm. and you're just like, okay, that person is a non-entity in terms of their own desires right. and I just get to do to them what I want and ask them to do to me what I want and right. there's nothing about what they want. And like, I'm not even saying there's anything wrong with that. No, like, I think that could be really be good like, for connecting you to who, what you actually want and who right. you yeah. are in a space where you don't have to worry like, about go that. Go do that work yeah. and then yeah. go fuck with some, <laughs> some other person and try to make it all line up. Like, Yeah, yeah. oh shit. Right, and so having authentic curious about curiosity about yourself and being able to express curious curiosity about someone else um, and then being able to receive it, like mm-hmm. all of that is a big part of what we're talking about. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Wow. Yikes. Okay. Nailed it. <sighs> Finally, we I need to go sleep for out. like 15 hours. <laughs> uh, hey, thanks for having this hard conversation with me, y'all. I know I was a little bit resistant to this topic for a while, um, and I'm glad we're here, and I hope we can keep talking about it. Me too. Thank you. Yeah. Thanks a lot. And yeah, thanks, thanks to our audience. <laughs> yeah. Thanks for listening. Uh, all that stuff. Find us on the platforms. Send us messages. Talk to us. We love you. (laughs) (laughs) We love you. And I think it would be really interesting to keep this theme going about Uh uh, sex and vulnerability and, you know, how it shows up in non-monogamy and how it shows up in other spaces. So if people have ideas about other exercises Mm. uh, along these lines Mm -hmm. or other frameworks, I would love to hear them. Yeah. We're here to receive what you have, but do it for you, not because you feel like we want you to. Whatever gives you pleasure. Uh-huh. Exactly. <laughs> Just make sure it's also pleasurable to me. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks, everybody. Bye. See you next time. Bye. Bye.